regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I'm Jacques Hopkins, and here with me as well, as usual, is our co-host. What's going on, Dr. K? Not too much. I'm doing fantastic here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, excited about another episode of the online course show. We've been doing pretty pretty good lately, releasing these once a week. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is 152. You know, we've crossed over the 150 mark. Big uh, big milestone there. And uh, excited to get into this episode and this uh, this this interview and conversation that we have to talk about here in a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So I'll kick it off a little bit. I've got a few updates for you and for the audience. Um, one one thing that came through in my world in the past week or so that is is really just is a huge honor, and that's because um, my business was recognized by an entity that I feel very passionate about, and that's that's my the, the college that I went to uh, at least for undergrad, Louisiana State University here in Baton Rouge, where I live. I'm still, I live about a mile away from it. It's a huge, mm-hmm. huge university, state school. I attended for undergrad long, long time ago and got my degree in electrical engineering. Anyway, they have this thing called the LSU 100, which I've had my eye, eye on for years. In fact, I've had my eye on it for probably 10 years because back when I worked for a company, they were part of the LSU 100, which is what it is, is it's the 100 fastest growing LSU grad led businesses. All right. So when I were, I worked for the same company for eight years as essentially an electrical engineer. And the owner of that company was an LSU grad. And for a year or two, that, you know, our company was, was in the LSU 100. Now, what does it mean to be one of the fastest growing companies? I don't know. I don't know what their exact, <laughs> you know, criteria are. I know that you've got to have to have brought in revenue wise at least $100,000 uh, for the past three years. You have to have been in business for at least five years. But other than that, you know, you just submit your kind of tax returns and then they tell you whether you made it or not. So I recently found out that my company, which is, you know, the whole the whole company itself, the entity is actually called Hopkins Media because I've got two brands that fall underneath that is uh, is, is in the LSU 100. And in a couple of months, there's going to be this big event and we find out ac- actual like rankings and orders. I, I don't think I'm going to be like way at the top of the list, but but just to be a, a part of that 100 is is just a huge, huge honor on my side. That's exciting. Well, congratulations. Uh, hopefully, uh, getting on that list gives you like free season tickets to the football <laughs> game when they, when they start to yeah. host uh, live fans, right? If only, man. If only. That's, uh, I don't think it works <laughs> like that. Although football, college football season started, my team didn't do so hot in the first game. But I did have one of those cardboard uh, cutouts in the stands of me and my <laughs> piano. <laughs> I was really excited about it. A few of my friends sent me pictures of, of me making it on the broadcast or you know, the picture of me. Are you being serious? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, have you watched any sporting events in the past few months? Have you seen well, the cardboard I, cutouts? Well, I saw the article about all the characters on South Park being in uh, Denver Stadium. Oh, I don't know about that. No, I mean, the, every every stadium kind of does it differently, but LSU sent out emails and stuff and said, hey, if you want to pay, it was like 50 bucks for the whole season, we'll make a cardboard cutout of no you way. and put it in the stands. <laughs> so I was like, shoot, yeah. And they, awesome. they made it. 
they made it clear you couldn't have any like logos or advertising because at first I'm like, oh shoot, that's a business expense. I'll put piano in 21 days on there, but uh, you can do that. So it's it's like literally me holding my piano, and uh, it, it definitely got on the broadcast. And it's it's just a silly thing to do, but I, I love LSU. I love I love LSU sports, so that's pretty cool. Very nice. Uh, what else? So I've got uh, my, uh, my OBM slash director of operations is, has been working with the, with me and the team for about a month now. And she has got one thing she's been, she's been coming in and doing all kinds of cool stuff. One thing she's done is she's coming in really streamlined podcast process, right? And I know you don't see a lot of the actual process, but in reality, there's like 36 steps to mm-hmm. getting out an episode. I mean, you, you, you come on and graciously join me once a week to record these intros and outros, but there's, you know, creating the thumbnail image and, and piecing everything together and metadata. And there's just so many different pieces and parts and, and multiple team members are involved. And before I had everything in a spreadsheet and it was getting a little overwhelming. She's put all the steps in Asana. You know, when, when one person knocks out a task, then the, the next person in line gets notified. And this is the first time I've ever used Asana and it's pretty cool. Nice. You guys use any project management software at your practice? Um, no, not really. No, I mean, I mean, we, it's old school. Like we have a notebook that like, yeah, anything (laughs) that needs to be done goes on the notebook because communication is so important. And like, there's times that like my employees, I'll say, Hey, can you make a note to do this? And periodically they're like, well, I don't need to make a note because I'm going to remember to do it. And then I'll have to tell them like, no, I mean the note, once I see that there's a check next to it, I don't have to ask you again about it. So yeah, I mean, finding a communication that works for everybody is key. But I mean, currently we're still in the office every day. And, and honestly, an old school paper notebook is our, our project management. Hey, whatever works. Mm-hmm. What, that's why I always, I always tell my piano students, like I'm not a stickler for, for certain ways to do, uh, to do things. I want you to figure out the best way that works mm-hmm. for you in terms of fingering, posture. Um, how you're playing certain things. So I feel the same way about like project management. And unfortunately, the the spreadsheets, we were just kind of growing past that. And the, yeah. the Asana setup that Colleen has implemented is is really, really cool so far and makes my life so much easier. Yeah. Well, and I always say my number one rule of being a manager is like, I don't want to be a nag. And then an employee's job is to not make me a nag. And so in order to have that, you have to have clear expectations and then clarity about what's gotten done. So yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, before we uh, jump into the conversation I had with with Brendan Dunn, which was a lot of fun, let me kick it to you. Any 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 updates? Anything else you want to talk about before we get into it? Yeah, well, I think the main thing is that it's officially time I need to get an affiliate link set up. So uh, no, normally I see uh, we do this chat on a day that I don't see patients, but I think I sold uh, one of your piano in twenty one nice. days courses this morning. So I was I was telling the lady about what I was doing today, and I, I explained the whole backstory of the podcast. And when I got to the piano in 21 days part, she's like, I need that. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, yeah, I've been trying to teach myself. And she said these like key phrases. So she said, you know, I don't want to spend a bunch of time learning scales and playing classical music. And I'm like, this is what you need. It's perfect. And then a little while back, actually, I think that uh, Jason Dion, he yeah. actually said that he joined your course. Mm-hmm partly motivated by this idea of like playing piano for his wife. So I'm like, I think I've gotten two, or gotten two coming your way. So yeah, absolutely. But, um, any update on how the affiliates are going? Oh, we, we, the affiliates make sales here and there. It's certainly not a large traffic source, but there's a lot of different affiliates signed up and uh, it's going okay. I don't put a lot of time and effort into it yet. That's just not a big focus mm-hmm. right now, but it is uh, down the road. 
And, you know, the more, the more day-to-day operational type mm-hmm. stuff that Colleen can take over, the more I can think about bigger items like that. Have you had a, oh, have you had a student actually actively pursue getting new members? Yeah. Yeah. That's the majority of the affiliates are people that have taken the course, mm. which is how I want it to be. I want it to be more like, uh, you know, you, you've taken it or you're in it, you know, refer a friend type thing rather than big marketers coming in or something like that. And it's part of my automated process to reach out to people after 90 days mm. to see if they want to be an affiliate uh, for it. Even if, even if it's just one person, I mean, I had I had somebody who who signed up for the course like six months ago and their brother wanted to sign up. So they grabbed the affiliate link so that they could make sure. 40% of it for their brother signing up, which which is cool. And, and that, that's I, I welcome that for sure. I mean, I also welcome my students to, to share their login with family members, but that's that's cool. You do welcome them to share it with their family members? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, if, I, I figure a login should be for the household, not okay. for the individual. That's, that makes that's just my personal feeling. Uh, I get people coming in like, hey, can we get a discount for if I'm going to take it and my husband's going to take it, something like that. It's like, well, no, just just sign up once and you mm. both go through it together. It's not a big deal, you know? Oh, that's awesome. And you mentioned Jason Dion, who, you know, for, for those who aren't familiar, he's a very, very, very successful course creator who's been on the podcast twice now. And he's actually scheduled to come on a third time. I always like talking to Jason. And I actually asked him about the piano course recently. And he's he's still waiting for his keyboard to arrive. The guy oh, like is a world traveler. His family, they moved to Puerto Rico. He's <laughs> in the military that. and is currently deployed in Italy. And, uh, and so he like, doesn't have a keyboard right now, so he hasn't gotten started, but I keep telling him, Hey, the new version is coming out soon. Wait for that. It's going to be way better than the last version. So that's the, that's the quick Jason Dion update. Nice. Well, and sometime, I think I mentioned this before, but I mean, at some point reaching out to these famous Instagrammers and saying, Hey, you know, like people react to this kind of content. People love it. We'll get there, man. Someday. I think that could be a good strategy. One step at a time. I've got some really big plans for the next three months to get this stuff really dialed in. And that is certainly part of the long-term plan. Gotcha. Ready to talk about Brennan Dunn? Yeah, let's talk about him. All right, man. So about three years ago, shortly after starting this podcast, Nate Dodson, who was you know on the first 20 episodes, he's like, hey, Jacques, I'm going to this conference in Austin, Texas, SumoCon. It's run by the app Sumo guys, uh, Noah Kagan. It's a business, small business thing. At the time, I'd never been to any sort of conference. And it was it was that my opportunity to meet Nate in person for the first time too. So I went over there, a uh, really cool conference, about 150 people. Austin's a cool city, very well done. I don't think they've done any since. I think that's that was the last one. They kept talking about doing one every year. And then I don't think they've done one. They certainly haven't done one this year. But one of the speakers in front of everybody was Brendan Dunn. That's, that was my first introduction to him. And he was talking about, uh, well, really, he was talking about segmentation and he was really showing us his new software that was yet to come out, right message. And then there was a lot of breakout sessions throughout the weekend at this conference too. And I knew that he was a course creator and and I, I was fascinated by this idea of segmentation. So I certainly went to his breakout session. So that was more like eight people and Brennan Dunn. So I got to ask him a lot of direct questions and he showed us inside of his business, uh, doubleyourfreelancing.com, his online course business, like all the segmentation he was doing, all the automation he was doing. And that was a huge inspiration for me to um to take, you know, to take some of that and, and implement more automation and segmentation into my business. And um, and so that that was a really cool experience. Then in late 2018, I signed up for a trial of Right Message and his software. And 
uh, I've got it up now. And within about an hour of signing up for the trial, I got an email from Brennan and the subject said, welcome. My girlfriend loves your piano course. (laughs) And it said, it says, Hey, I just saw that you signed up for a right message trial. Uh, my girlfriend was sitting next to me, saw your name, was like, that's the piano guy, right? I've been wanting to buy his course for ages. Anyway, I just wanted to say hi. I'm one of the founders. If you need anything, uh, please let me know. So he, th- they were sitting together, I guess, and saw my name come through. <laughs> I was like, that's the piano guy, uh, which was really cool to see that. And so fast forward uh, today, I'm still using Right Message. And uh, Brendan Dunn has been somebody on my list to reach out to to come on the podcast for a long time. And we finally made it happen. So um, that's that's what we're talking about. I mean, the guy makes millions from courses, basically on autopilot for the most part. And he's got SaaS products now. Uh, SaaS stands for software as a service. So one of the one of the big questions I wanted to ask him was compare running an online course business to running a, a SaaS product business. Because I, man, I just have no interest in, in that. I love the mm-hmm. course businesses. So man, that's the setup. So without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, I'll play the full conversation. And as normal, we'll come back on the back end. So here we go with the full conversation between myself and Brennan Dunn. Brennan, welcome to the online course show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jack. Man, it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. So let me ask you this: What do you like more, online businesses, working on your online business, or flying airplanes? <laughs> airplanes, <laughs> businesses mean to an, means to an end for me with the uh, with the aviation stuff. T- so. Tell me about that because we're Facebook friends, and and all I pretty much see you post is is stuff about airplanes. I'm too. Uh, it's unhealthy. It's expensive as hell too. Yeah, I bought a plane last February. By buying a plane, I know like a lot of people assume that means Learjet, sixty um, year old bug smasher, single engine piston. And um, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff like redoing the interior. Now I'm redoing the panel, and uh, it's just a hell of a lot of fun to fly. I can just like the other day, I went down to um, uh, what would have been like a six hour drive, fifty minute flight to go get oysters for lunch at this place in the Outer Banks that like you can only get to by car. Or by ferry, I should say. Otherwise, one of the best oysters I've ever had or oyster meals I've ever had. And um, yeah, I was just like, why not? You know, so opens a lot of doors in terms of just freedom, I think. And um, yeah, I've just been having a blast just throwing money at this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine how expensive of a hobby it is and look to each their own because flying is not... I mean, I like the idea of flying. I like traveling. But yeah. I am afraid of flying, man. My my father in law, my wife's father is um he just he just retired from uh, the Air Force. He was a two star general, and, and wow. I mean that's he lives and breathes flying. And yeah. I've been flying with him one time because I knew <laughs> that and this was, was before. Yeah, this was before we got married because I was really trying to impress him. Yeah. So he took me up in his little two seater Cessna, uh-huh. and I'm just scared to death. And we go up, and we're just like flying with the birds and everything. And then we go, and we're going to land. And I'm like, thank goodness this is over. Well, that's the day I discovered this concept of a touch and go. Oh, yeah. And so we just landed and then took back off about five times. That was one of the scariest days of my yeah, life. It could, have, but- it could have been worse. You could have done like stalls with you and done like engine out practice and stuff no, of no, like, no, no. hey, we're at 3,000 feet. We just lost an engine. What do we do? <laughs> or the engine, not a engine, the engine. Right. And um, yeah, those, those, are, those are fun. Yeah. Fun, you and I must have a different definition of fun. But anyway, sure. teach yeah. their own, like I said. So online business, online courses, you have a SaaS product, Right Message, which I use, a lot of people use. You have courses as well. These days, where are you spending most of your time? 
These days, it's mostly on the SaaS side. Um, I mean, I do some like I did a workshop yesterday for one of my courses, Mastering ConvertKit. And I'm also redoing my initial, my, my oldest course, I should say, called W Freelancing Rate. Doing that from scratch because that's the only text-based course I still have. So I'm redoing it as a video course and you know better content and everything else. But um, yeah, I mean, more than 90% of my time now is, uh, is right message. Double your freelancing as a text course? Double your freelancing rate. Yeah. Double your freelancing rate. Okay. Yeah. So, so double your freelancing is the, the brand. And then okay. under that, there's a bunch of courses for freelancing, even though I also have now courses on marketing automation under that brand, which doesn't really make sense, but it's there. And um, yeah, so I mean, I've got like uh, mostly now I focus, there's really two main courses for W Freelancing. There's um, W Freelancing Rate, which is the course on kind of sales and pricing. And then there's Sell Yourself Online, the Blueprint, which is really just a, a primer for really content marketing and automated lead gen for consultants. So how do you actually go beyond like having a website that does nothing and actually use it to you know build an audience and educate and nurture that audience toward coming ready to be a client and automating consult calls being scheduled and stuff like that. So those are the main two courses. I have a bunch of other supplemental products on that site for... I have a workflow pack. I've got um, videos from the conferences I've ran. Um, I've got... I should know this off the top of my head. I've got... Um, there's a glaring one I'm missing. That'll come to me, I'm, I'm sure. But anyway, those don't get a lot of... like Most of the sales are for W Freelancing Rate and the Blueprint. But then I have... Two marketing automation courses, Mastering Drip and Mastering ConvertKit, which those do fairly well, even though, like, you know, I've got no, like, you know, I'm not running any ads. There's no SEO to the site for that. Although, actually, now I found out if you Google ConvertKit course, I think beyond the two articles at the top, which are on the ConvertKit blog about building an online course, the third thing is my course. So I get a good amount of sales for those products, a lot of word of mouth for that I found. But yeah, I mean, that business pretty much at this point got a VA who handles like first line customer support and it's very hands off at this point. So that was the that was the really huge thing that jumped out at me when when we first met several years ago at a conference is just the level of automation you were doing. I went to your breakout session and you were showing like you took us inside your I think it was a drip account. Yeah. And just showed us all the tags and all the automations that I was just blown away. I was like, why can't I be doing this for my piano business as well? And and I just had a lot of takeaways from from that that one meeting we had together. And that was really cool. Would you say that kind of automation is one of the things you're known more uh, for most? Yeah, I think, you know, funny enough, in the workshop I hosted yesterday, one of the big things that I, I focused on was how, you know, if you deliver an email to say a subscriber today, they don't care if you wrote that this morning or a year ago, as long as it's helpful, right? So, you know, my thinking is, you know, I have continuous influx of new people coming to the site from like Google, they're opting in. I don't need to be on this hamster wheel of thinking like I need to be coming up with original content on a weekly basis to keep the list warm so that I can pitch them at some point, right? So I wanted to think around like, how do I make it so if I get got hit by a bus, there'd be a minimal in, impact in cash flow. Like that was my goal. It was very macabre, but you know, the real thing was just like I was starting this app called Right Message, which I knew, and I have a co-founder with it, and this is his full-time thing. He doesn't want a another co-founder with kind of half attention focused on the business. So, you know, I, I really needed to work toward getting it so it was effectively doing a lot of the nurturing and pitching on its own um, without new inputs from me. So yeah, I did. I invested a lot of time in building up an automated system to kind of keep it going. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's incredibly uh, important. And I've had essentially the same funnel to sell my piano course for like three years. A lot of the same emails, a lot of the same videos even. Like yeah. to your point, I made a video almost three years ago where I'm holding 
my baby daughter and she's in the <laughs> shot. And that video is still very much a part of my automation. And yeah. it's, it's actually a, a pretty high converting video because I'm just like, it's not highly produced. It was filmed on my phone. It's just like, hey, this is my daughter, Zoe. My, my wife had to run out. And then I kind of turn the camera around and show some testimonials on the screen. And I get a lot of positive feedback about that video. And I'm kind of nervous to tell people like, oh, by the way, Zoe's almost three and a half now <laughs> and not a baby anymore. But it works. Give it like 20 years or 15 years or something. It's like, hey, I'm taking Zoe to college. And then people are thinking, like, isn't she three months old? Or yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but it wor- It works. I mean, yeah. and you, you put in the work and then you can set it up and you have it automated and it can have the same impact three- on somebody else three years down the road as it did when I first uploaded that video. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are exceptions for things like if you're reporting on live news, you can't do this stuff, right? But a lot of us, I should should say, I don't know about most of us, are doing more kind of evergreen things where piano probably isn't radically changing on a yearly basis. Likewise, consulting doesn't really change year to year. I mean, there's different like tools maybe and you know things like that that get updated and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, like how to sell, how to price, how to pitch somebody, like that doesn't change that regularly. So as long as you know, I'm actually kind of against the traditional newsletter model now because I kind of look at it as, you know, I joined an email list today. The first email I get, the first newsletter is just happens to be whatever the heck this person's thinking of writing and sending this week, which might not actually, you know, it makes, it doesn't make sense usually. Whereas just like I'm on a blog, seeing your latest post doesn't really help me. I want to see probably something a bit more curated, a little more linear rather than like, you know, a time ordered smorgasbord of like random stuff. You know, if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm actually really shifting away toward like away from the typical blog model, the typical like newsletter model and all that stuff toward, you know, automated plan of actions based off of different inputs, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes it makes total sense to me. I like geeking out on that stuff as well. Now with my piano funnel, and I think your your girlfriend has been through it, or maybe is she your wife, wife yeah. now? Yeah. You, you recently got married. Congratulations. I think she, she was interested in, in piano in 21 days at one point because I remember I reached out to like write message support and then you were the one oh, that responded. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 She did buy it. I think. <laughs> and I think she was sitting next yeah. to you. Yeah. And she was like, oh, that's the piano guy. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But but uh, as far as my funnel goes, like once you opt into the funnel, the first 14 days or so are, is the evergreen part. Mm-hmm. And that's the same. And that's got the the Zoe video and yeah. all that. And then what I do after that is I do make like a YouTube video probably monthly and I'll email that out to everybody. But then if somebody goes through the first evergreen funnel and they don't buy or unsubscribe, then you probably will get that monthly YouTube video. And then I'll re- re-pitch you the course every four sure. months until you buy or unsubscribe. What do you think about that approach? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's the model of you have some sort of intentional onboarding, which you do. I assume you have a pitch after that 14 days, right? No, it's within the 14 days. That's the whole evergreen funnel. Okay, within. Yeah. Okay, you're right. Okay, so it's not like straight up education and then following. Like, is there an actual automated like pitch window or is it just kind of like, yeah, there is. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's kind of a very common model, right? You have some sort of like, you know, initial onboarding sequence that builds trust and authority early on. And then you've got a automated pitch window, which is nice because then you know, well, if I have X percent people buying within that first two week window, I get a hundred people say a day joining my list and you can kind of get it down to almost a science, right? And then, you know, majority of people probably won't buy and that's fine. But then they all get moved over to some sort of like ongoing, like you said, a monthly thing. And then every quarter or whatever it is, you're just going to shut down the educational stuff, do the live pitch and then rinse and repeat. Yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, I mean, that that's basically like, that's the model that I think 
works exceptionally well. Um, one way I'm moving away from that is what I've been trying to focus on is, all right, that makes sense for the initial 14 day thing. Cause that's very much like, you know, it, it, it's very much like if I join your list today and you have, let's say 10 days of really intentionally designed information that helps me really become ready to be a customer of the course. Right. Um, and then you offer me the course and then you move me into this kind of long-term nurturing thing of like a monthly new video or whatever. And then you have like the quarterly launch. My, my issue might be, and maybe you're handling this, would be, well, I assume that quarterly launch is on your schedule, right? So is that like, you know, oh, it is. And it's every quarter. It's on the customer's schedule. Sweet. Better. Okay, cool. Yeah. I thought you were... Okay. So what a lot yeah. of people, as you know, do is they do it off of like, this week yeah. I'm launching, right? Which the, the, the crappy thing there is, well, what if they just finished like three days ago, the automated pitch from that initial yeah. onboarding exactly. sequence? And now three days later, they're getting repitched again. But if it's based off of plus four months after that first pitch, that's great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think there's I think there's significant problems with the live relaunch to your whole list. Exactly what yeah. you're saying. What if somebody just did your evergreen? I know some people will kind of turn that off for a little bit so that they can do a live yeah. relaunch. But then then how long do you wait? Is a month long enough? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of questions there. So what I do is once somebody finishes the evergreen automation, they'll go into one of four buckets depending on what month it is. And then basically every month I can relaunch to one quarter of my list. Yeah. And that's great because I mean, then you've got a really nice, like, you know, cash flow is very evened out and you get all the, I mean, uh, granted, yeah, it's nice to be able to say I had this massive launch this week, but I much prefer the stability in the, and and plus the testability of it, right? Like you can iterate and tweak, especially if you're building in feedback loops of like serving people post pitch and finding out why they didn't buy and trying to, you know, get that kind of info on an automated basis. So you can continue to refine that. Whereas with a live, quarterly launch, you really can't do that. Or you can't do it as iteratively, right? You can say, yeah. all right, I found out you know, in September that people don't buy for X, Y, Z, Z reasons, but then you're not launching again until January or whatever. You don't, get, you don't get that feedback loop as tight, if that makes sense. You know? So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. Definitely on, the, definitely on the same page there. So jumping back to the uh, double your freelancing rate course, you said that was text-based. I personally have never put together a text-based course. What's the difference between that and say a book? <laughs> so funny enough, the original W Freelance and Rate is from 2011, and it was an ebook back then. And then I redid it as a online course because I hate to say, but you kind of realize that you can throw another digit on the price tag and call it yes. a course. <laughs> I deconstructed it into a online course with modules and everything else. But I also added a, like about 10 hours of uh, case study video content of like talking to the first cohort of customers and trying to figure out where did they get stuck? What kind of mental like obstacles do they face and how do they overcome them? Packaged that all in, packaged in a bunch of templates and stuff too. So it kind of took it beyond just a standard ebook. And yeah, I mean, it, it cost a bit more, but the, the meat of it, you know, the training part was still primarily ripped directly out of the ebook, but it just included documents and videos and stuff on top of it. So this is going to be initially like, you know, the, the same teaching stuff I've been doing almost 10 years now. Um, but obviously hopefully done better than ever before, but also initially done as a proper video course. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So was the like your first course sale was at this course? Yeah. I and mean, it was a ebook sale fulfilled with eJunkie back in like 2011 for $29. So yeah. Was that like a big pivotal moment for you in your careers like that first oh, yeah. sale? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, funny enough, I was doing um when I launched that, I was actually starting my first SaaS at the time, which is a thing called PlanScope. 
project management tool for freelancers and agencies. And I did the whole like, oh, if I write content about consulting, because I had run an agency before this, that'll get people to use PlanScope. But what I realized instead, more accidentally, was people were joining the email list for the PlanScope blog about... I tried to write on it, which is really all the content, the original content of W Freelancing was PlanScope articles for that SaaS, right? And I would um, you know, write this stuff and think, okay, people will opt into the email list and then they'll buy the software eventually. Many of them didn't buy the software, but they, what they wanted was more frameworky kind of premium stuff, right? So they wanted information, really packaged information. And again, this is 2012, probably at this point, a year into it. So the whole like online coursing isn't like what it is today. So I was pretty skeptical. I was even skeptical about like, uh, no, that was 2011, actually, because that's when the first version of a book came out. And, and what, I, what I thought was, okay, well, what I could do is you know, I, I have a lot more stuff I'd like to share and I could do it in a very concrete way and maybe, maybe I'll sell them on a book and then, then they'll finally buy PlanScope, which is what I wanted. Well, you know, that would, that would occasionally happen, but more realistically, people would buy the book. And then I started getting asked to do like, you know, hey, tell me about this agency you built. How did you go from being a freelancer to an agency? And that turned into this online workshop that I would host called the Consultancy Masterclass, which was a two day live event that I sold about 12, iterations of that, right? So usually I did that about once a month. And that then turned into this blueprint course that I have now, right? So like, I kept thinking the content marketing thing for this PlanScope blog, I'll mix in some like info producty things with the hope that eventually does, like maybe it turns them into a customer and then I can upsell them on the, the software. But more realistically, a lot of people came into that, never cared about the project management software. They just wanted the, the information. So that's what, you know, double freelancing kind of when I sold PlanScope software product, I kept the blog, if that makes sense. And I rebranded it as W Freelancing. Because at that point, it was the PlanScope marketing site with a blog of like educational content and then a bunch of single page domains for every course that I was introducing. And then I finally sold PlanScope, bought WFreelancing.com, the domain, and then took all the PlanScope blog content, put it there, took all the one page landing page sales pages for all these things housed it under there. Now it's all happily there. So that's how that happened. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting that the SaaS product kind of came first and you were making the Info product kind of a, a, an entry point yeah. um, into the SaaS product. And I know that can work. I mean, I've got Russell Brunson's box set over here with expert secrets and traffic yeah. secrets over there. And uh, and when I first read dot-com secrets like four years ago, that was pivotal in me signing up for yeah. ClickFunnels. And I still use ClickFunnels to this day. Um, do, do you feel, I mean, you, you run a different SaaS company now. Do you feel like that, that model can still work? I do. Um, although... You know, we've tried. We did come out with a course for Right Message called the Personalization Masterclass. But I'm, we're finding now that with Right Message, we're moving more up market towards, you know, where you have um, people are booking demo calls and they're not enterprise customers, but they're working at bigger companies where there's different divisions and so on. And the whole like, I think when I was targeting freelancers, it was a more, it was a lot more viable because these were single, you know, companies of one where they are the, the decision maker. Whereas a lot of the customers we're getting with Right Message are kind of bigger. And I think they'd be open and something we're talking about, like kind of in a post COVID world, whatever that looks like, where, you know, we could offer corporate training and, and kind of like services plus software kind of package deals where, you know, instead of just the software, which is kind of what we're selling now. But we're finding a lot of people, at least that we're selling to, don't actually care about the education. They just want the outcome. And they're looking for more done for you mm. kind of things with right message versus do-it-yourself learning with the right message, if that makes sense. 
And that's just something you're learning about your particular yeah, exactly. niche, your particular software and audience. It's not necessarily applicable to... It's not universal at all. Right? No, 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 no. Like, yeah, like with, with the freelancing kind of side of things, it's you tend to find more people who want the learning, training stuff, and then, you know, maybe some other stuff too. But yeah. Well, let's, let's get into right message a little bit because um, I've, I've definitely played around with it. I use it on one of my sites and I first learned about it when you were kind of demoing it to us a few years ago at that conference. Yeah. And I, I don't think it was quite available yet. It was about to come out. And yeah, unfortunately, I got all these like conference speaking gigs like before we actually had the product to talk about the product. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, at the end, I'm like, well, you can't actually get this yet, but you know, go join an email list or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then, so I was fascinated by it. I went to a breakout session and just the combination of automation and segmentation just really jumped out at me. And so a couple months later, uh, I applied to be on the the Pat Flynn's podcast, the Ask Pat yeah. uh, coaching version where you go on and you talk to him for 30 minutes, he coaches you through it. So this was late 2017, early 2018. And I was on with Pat Flynn and I was like, man, the business is good. It's it's bringing in you know this amount. Um, I think one thing that could really help me scale it is segmentation. Yeah. And I didn't even mention you or right message or anything. And he was like, well, have you checked out right message? And so I think I've, I've been using it a little bit since, uh, since not only you recommended it, but, uh, Pat Flynn did as well. But, um, I think Pat is still using it too. I mean, Oh yeah, they, 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 it does well for them. Yeah. 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 It seems to be. So, um, who is a good fit? Uh, for for using right message and would any you know course creators listening to this be a good fit for it? Yeah, I mean, our our if you look at like the you know I can actually get you the exact stats. I saw them the other day, but it's something like thirty percent of our customers are course creators. No, I, I mean they 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 self identify as they sell digital training. So I assume that's mostly people who sell courses. Yeah, right. but I mean at the end of the day, what we've done, which is why I think it's useful for course creators, is. The typical model, like you were talking about before, is you know you, you do content marketing, so you have a blog, maybe you do like podcast interviews, guest posts, whatever. And for the first step for a lot of us is to get somebody on an email list before they we try to get them to really buy. So like you know typically you'll have like a blog with content, and you have opt-ins on that blog, and then people will then opt in and they go through you know they join your list and you eventually pitch them on stuff, right? But to keep that list warm, many of us are creating new content and emailing that content to the list. Right. So the initial use case of right message was a very simple one, which was it makes zero sense to have a opt-in form show to somebody already in your list. Let's instead show a product, you know, pop-up or something. So kind of V1 of, of the product was saying we can pull in data from your email marketing database and say, hey, this person's already on your list and they they're tagged with customer or they're just a subscriber. So let's, you know, show them something, some product. But if they're not on your list, let's show them the opt-in, right? So that was kind of the, the initial thing that's what got us going. But then we had a lot of people who were saying, you know, we want to we want to go beyond this. We want to like show, you know, swap out testimonials and say you're looking at a sales page. If you um, are, let's say, with course creators, right? Like let's say you want to create a fitness course. Well, it would make sense to show maybe other fitness course creators who've benefited from the product, and maybe you change the headline on the page to be something about like. You know, create and ship and and whatever your fitness course. Well, a lot of people said, well, you know, I want to do that. It's great that you've built a tool that lets us do that. It's with this point and click editor where you don't need any coding to do that. But they were like, I don't know. How do I know if somebody's a fitness 
you know, person versus a, you know, recipe course thing, or you, you know what I mean? Like all these different kind of segments. So we built on top of what we've, we built this, this segmentation tool where you could have a little pop-up that would say like, you know, which one of these are you? And they click one and then we would use that data to then uh, personalize their site, but also we'd sync that data up to their email database so they could send personalized emails. But now it's evolved in this crazy, like, customer journey thing where you can ask questions, show different personalized opt-in forms. And like if they're this and they want that, show your, you know, instead of the newsletter opt-in, it's like, hey, learn how to start and create a fitness course, which could be shown to people who want to do that. Whereas somebody who wants to scale a course on consulting would see a different message, right? So that's kind of what most people now are doing is they're using us, they're swapping us out. They're swapping out like Sumo or Optin Monster or any of these, I would say, more basic opt-in tools that aren't aware of when repeat uh, subscribers or customers are back on your site and are not doing any sort of like behavioral or survey-based segmentation to show different opt-ins or different lead magnets or even different differently described opt-ins or lead magnets. Um, we have a lot of people who are basically coming to us for that reason where they want to you know, they want to obviously get more opt-ins, which having a more personalized opt-in form tends to do that. But they also want to make it so when they get a new subscriber, it's not just a first name and an email address. Instead, it's a first name and an email address. And like they already have a course. The course is in, I don't know, about consulting. And this is the thing that they want to do next or something. So you have that info, which then you can use to make it so when they're back on a sales page in the future, it's super specific to them, but also they're, the emails you're sending them whether it's pitch emails or onboarding emails, are um, a little more specific to them. Yeah, it's, as a, an outsider and a customer, I, I can, I've definitely seen the, the evolution of the software because I remember when you were demoing it several years ago, I remember the, the changing out a headline feature. I was like, wow, you can dynamically change what that text says based on some information about the customer. That's cool. And then the other thing I specifically remember was being able to hide opt-ins if you already have somebody's email address, that those sounded cool. So once Pat Flynn recommended it as well, I went into it. And to your point, I was like, oh, but wait, I don't know the information about my people yeah. other than their name and their email. So what I did next was as soon as somebody opts in, I took them to a type form, a form, a survey and asked them like gender, age, you know, what, why haven't you learned piano yet? Like all kinds of good information. And I found that 90% of people opting in actually filled out all the information. It was incredible. So I had the information. um, Now now I have three years worth of that amazing data. And I never took the time to go back and implement uh, any of that into WriteMessage Mm -hmm. on that business. Because then I think it kind of started to evolve to where WriteMessage actually handled asking for a lot of that data. So what I did was I took WriteMessage and I implemented it on my my other brand, the onlinecourseguy.com. Because for that side, it's very important to me that I know whether somebody has a course yet or not. Like, are you a beginner or you have a course already looking to scale? And if you have a course about how much are you making from it, what are your goals? And I can market to people differently based on that. I think that's a a total game changer. And I think segmentation overall, I'm a big fan, even though on one side, I'm not necessarily using right message because of just what I implemented. But I think it's really, really cool. And, And people listening to this, I think it's something definitely to check out. I think it's like, you know, my background in, in, you know, growing this agency, we didn't have a buy now button, right? Like everything was discussion. And, you know, you better believe I'm tailoring why they should hire us to build a web app, depending on how technical they are, maybe like obviously what they're building, like if they're building a certain type of app or they want to build a certain type of app, I'm name dropping clients of ours who are similar to them, right? So we all do this in person and offline, but you know, the way the web tends to be architected is you have static pages that are saying the same thing to everyone. 
right? So, and, and you see like influences, or not influences, but like, you know, things like chatbots. I mean, the, the idea there is that that's supposed to do a lot of like that kind of what we're talking about here. But the way I look at it is like, we all know niche websites perform better than generic websites. You have a niche product that's going to perform better to a niche audience than a generic product would. But why, why need to niche the product when you can just niche the way the positioning of the, the sales page is, for example. So that's pretty much what was our goal going into it. And yeah, like you said, we found out a lot of people don't have a lot of segmentation data. So we wanted to make it so we could help with that too. So that's kind of what we've done. Can you share any like case studies of people that have implemented right message and, and gotten some pretty cool results from it? Pat Flynn made a hundred grand more than he would have uh, his last Black Friday launch. I mean, if that counts or anything. How so? Like, what, what what did he do? How did that work? So what he did was uh, he captured data about like, if you go to his site now, he's capturing stuff like what maturity of your business. So have you not yet started? Are you under 500 a month or are you over 500 a month? This is kind of leading question. And then he asked different things about like, how interested are you in podcasting, affiliate stuff, all that kind of stuff. And so what he did was he used our visual editor to make it so... He kind of made it so like, you know, during Black Friday or Cyber Monday, I think he called it Spy Bur Monday, S-P-I Bur Monday. But he would link people to like a, uh, effectively a landing page, right? And he would use right message to personalize it. And what it would do is depending on, you know, maturity of your business and also what you said you were interested in, he would like give you a featured thing. Like, I think you, if there's one thing you buy this, whatever, it should be this product and be all bordered and outlined and all that stuff. And then he'd also have the other products, but he'd subtract out what people have already bought. So you wouldn't see like that thing you paid full price a week ago on the uh, the list of things available to you on his Cyber Money deal. So all of that was A-B tested. So 90% of his audience saw that personalized landing page with the featured thing and all that other stuff. And, and even changing the language, the product descriptions to be, you know, this will help you start blah, 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 versus this will help you continue to grow, blah, 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 blah. So we did that. And uh, again, he, it was A-B tested and the control, which saw the standard you know, no featured thing, no personalized language versus the variation, which was the personalized stuff. It was something like, I forgot the exact... It, if you Google like smart passive income rate message, you'll see the blog post you wrote, but it was something like 180% lift, I think, in in sales um, as a result of the personalized stuff versus the control. So he's a big one. We've had a lot... Of, I mean, we have like from the lead gen side of uh, things like... Um, we just did a case study for a company called Conservation Careers. Where what they did is um, they're in the UK and they kind of pair people up with like if you're a student or something and you want to get into the you want to get a job in conservation, it would effectively route you to a very specific lead magnet, which would be different depending on like have you done this before? Yes or no? Are you currently in the industry? Yes or no? What kind of conservation stuff do you want to do? Blah 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 blah. And um, for them, they they had a three x increase in daily lead gen, which was massive for them. I mean, it, it, they're they're pretty sizable nonprofit. And um, for them, I mean, that directly correlates to a, a multiple lift in revenue generated and all that good stuff too. So how, but how can asking more result in more opt-ins? Good question. So you might think like you're putting friction in front of an opt-in form, right? Like you're putting, instead of just showing the opt-in, you're, you're asking a question first. So the, yes, while that adds more friction, what the numbers tend to prove that when people do engage with that first, and you got to make sure your first question is not something that's making them rack their brain trying to figure out like, what do I choose? It's usually like a yes, no question or something. And it needs to be positioned as such of like, we want to help get you to the right place versus we just want data about you for data's sake. So while it adds more friction there, the likelihood that somebody, when they see an opt-in that's super relevant to them, ends up 
putting their name and email for it outweighs that that friction cost, if that makes sense. So, you know, the, again, all of these are are backed by they did a proper split test. And that's basically, you know, over the span of, I think they tested it for about a month and a half. That's what they saw. So, well, I mean, you've mentioned split testing a couple of times. And I think that's really important. I think it's something people don't do near enough. It's one thing for Pat Flynn to, to test, you know, using right message for this um, this special on um, Spider Monday, yeah. Monday yeah. or whatever, whatever it was. But if he just if he just changes everything and there's no control, then you don't really know how much it improved, if it even improved. I think it's fair to say though that more specific is always going to be less specific, right? Like as far as a test goes. Well, just in general. I mean, you think of most A/B tests, and it's like, does this headline outperform that headline? But it's usually just a very like a a different copywriter's take on a headline that will hopefully keep more people on the page. But typically speaking, like if you let's let's take take into account course graders, right? You have people who are just starting out, and then people who are already have a product and looking to scale it, right? I think you know the the, the default positioning would be if we have one product that helps both of these people, we're going to have a sales page, and we're going to have a mix of testimonials, maybe in the FAQ area. We'll have a question like, can this help new people? Can this help existing people? And you'll kind of mix that theme into the language on the page. And what you're effectively doing is you're kind of finding like the common denominator copy that appeals to both sides of that, you know, both new people and existing people. But I would argue that I don't think you actually need to test the theory of like, if I put somebody who is very brand new to course stuff in front of a sales page for the same product that is directly focused in on, here's how I'm going to help you start your brand new course. Here's a bunch of testimonials from people who I've helped start their brand new course. That that will outperform the risk of seeing, hey, I've been seeing a lot of testimonials from people who have like used this to you know multiply or whatever. Like, Can this really help me as somebody new? So whenever somebody thinks that, you know, people doubt. Like if people need to think, is this right for me? There's introduced doubt. So I tend to think like it's like with niche products, right? Like a very specific product built for a specific kind of buyer is generally going to be more appealing to that buyer. And conversions should generally be higher than a generic product that is, you know, not hitting on any unique pain points. And if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but Well, let's let's yeah. talk about let me yeah, give yeah, you a specific do. piano example. I can relate more to piano. So about half the people that come into my funnel are interested in uh-huh. singing along while they play, and the yeah. other half don't want to sing. And after they opt in, they answer. Well, that's one of the questions. So for most people, I have that information whether their goal is to sing while they play or not. So once it comes di- time to get to the sales page, are you saying that it's basically should go without saying that all the testimonials on the sales page for the people that want to sing should be from people singing while they play? And if you don't want to sing, let's not show those testimonials. I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I'd make sure maybe the featured testimonial is like that. Okay. Again, people want to see themselves in the product, right? Like if if you are yes. selling a fitness course and you're a 55 year old man and you see a bunch of 20 year olds as testimonials, you're gonna you're there's gonna be doubt, right? You're gonna think this won't work for you. Which is why I think if if like um you know you come out with a course targeting older men and the whole product's about that, like if I'm an older guy. I'm going to I'm going to think that this is probably more relevant to me, right? So it's just the the whole like, you know, why why does niching work? Because people want to buy the thing. In a perfect world, you buy the exact you buy a piano course that's exactly made for you, right? Like that's why you might buy a piano tutor because they can ideally give you a curriculum or whatever that's specific to you and your goals. 
Whereas, uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, people in, in a perfect world want to buy a product or service that is designed specifically for them. They want to see themselves in the product. They want to see social proof from people just like themselves. And um, yeah, I, I think what what we end up doing, like case in point, when I first launched W Freelancing Rate, my initial audience were primarily designers and developers. So people like me, but I was doing a lot of this content marketing stuff where I'd have like people who are Googling, how do I raise my rates or how do I get clients or whatever, finding articles of mine. And this diversified my audience naturally. Because at first I was doing stuff on like Hacker News and all this stuff where mostly developer types who were hanging out there. So I started diversifying the audience. And then I remember I got an email from somebody saying, hey, I've, you know, I've been recommended your course. I'm a copywriter, but it looks like a lot of the, like when I read it, it looks like it's more targeting developers and designers. Can this help me? And that, you know, she thought that and she actually took the time to email me. And I replied saying, you know, there's nothing technical. Like, I don't, like, this is a course on how to sell consulting. It doesn't matter what you're selling as long as you're selling to another business. And I was able to rescue that sale over email, but how many other people felt like she did and didn't see themselves and bailed? Right. So I think like if you can find out like, hey, what kind of work you do? Maybe you do this when they join the email course that leads to the sales page. I do copywriting. It's just a matter of just saying like, show them they're the right place. They get to the sales page and you use language about copywriting. Like this will help you grow your copywriting business. Like we do on a right message. If you're a software company and you come to our site, you see logos from software companies that use us because you want to see, can this thing actually help a company like mine? And I think, again, I think, again, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't, I can't say I've done any like formal research into this, but I think um, if people are thinking, does this help me? That most likely makes them more willing to, you know, think maybe not and hit the back button or something and, you know, close the tab. Yeah. Well, I'm all, I'm all about, you know, best possible user experience, both before the sale and after the sale too. And I think if done right, this certainly helps with the, yeah. the overall user experience. So, from a from a much higher level um, point of view, you know, you've got a lot of experience with with running course online course businesses as well as SaaS businesses. I, I don't have any experience with SaaS. I have a lot of experience with courses. Curious, just like pros and cons of each type each type of business, and which one at this point you like more? Yeah, I think like the maybe I'm not doing the SaaS thing. The way I could be doing it, or maybe our audience is different, but a lot of the traditional kind of course techniques of like urgency, time limited pitch windows don't really work that well for at least right message. You know, like the, yeah, I mean, the only one that I guess does, which has worked historically for us has been price hikes of like sign up before whatever, before we raise the price. Yeah. But I mean, I I thought it would be as easy as just like doing like, you know, evergreen pitch windows that people join our email course and they get pitched. Frankly, a lot of people. And I think it's just this overall feeling that to use right message correctly, you need to get your ducks in order first. You need to be thinking like, this is a project I need to commit to. It's not the same as saying like, here's a course you could buy. If you buy this week, you get 30% off. And you know, like the, because the assumption is, well, I could buy that and then just let it sit. And when I have time, I'll start going through the course. Whereas with this, it's like, sign up now and you're going to start billing you monthly, right? So I think for me, at least, the I've had to approach the email marketing side of things differently, where it's more constant, repetitive, showing off of what's possible, and then seeing a very longer sales window where people will, six months down the road, say, hey, I've been following you for six months and you know I've been liking what I've been reading in the emails you've been sending, but we finally just got approval or something internally to start a new, you know, to, to budget for this or something, right? Like, again, it's just, it's a different kind of thing that I'm used to, at least myself with like me, if I like the idea of this thing, I'm going to say, take out my card and buy it now and implement it. But a lot of the people we're attracting are, they're, you know, marketing managers at a bigger firm or something. And it's just different. 
but but on this on the level of like I'm a huge fan of online courses. Obviously, I I talk about online courses a lot. I've got a successful piano course. To me, it's like the greatest business in the world. I can take the information in my head, package it up, sell it as a digital product. Why are you drawn to a, a SaaS product? Uh, maybe I just don't. Wait. Nothing yeah. has really appealed to me about creating a SaaS product when I already have an online course business. Why did you push that aside and focus on a SaaS product? It's definitely harder. I mean, it's definitely in terms of like making money easily, courses are a lot easier. Um, support requests tend to be, I forgot my password or I want a refund with courses. Whereas, yeah, you know, support requests with software are, why is this weird thing now showing on my site? Oh my God, I hate you. Um, right. <laughs> you know, so I mean, like, <laughs> There's uh it's definitely simpler, I think, with courses. I think one nice thing is the the and I know you can do installments with courses and you can do like membership sites, pseudo things or whatever, where you kind of have MRR, you know, if you want to call it that. But I do yep. like knowing yep. that, you know, even though but then again, whenever I've been told that argument by software people, I'm always thinking, well, every SaaS has a average customer value. Right. Because you have a churn rate and you have, say, you're charging 50 a month and the average customer value is, say, they last 12 months. So $600, right? Like, well, that's okay. How is it different than selling a $600 product one off? Like, at the end of the day, the numbers should still match. Right. So I've never really, you know, even though I'm kind of on the verge of arguing for the recurring aspect, um, it, it's not that, it's not that impressive. I think when you factor in, well, even though yes, SaaS is recurring, it's not like people stick around forever. Typically, I mean, mathematically speaking, like you have a churn rate that will say this person has an X percent chance of canceling this month. Yeah, I think for for me, at least it's, you know, I'm an engineer and that's my background. And I, I do like building and selling software. I think from a lifestyle perspective, yeah, I mean, SaaS is not the way to go. And even then, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you can do like ridiculously well. Like, look at look at Nathan Mary, who I remember when he started ConvertKit and spoiling yeah. two mil, you know, two million a month now. But you know, I'm in a, you know, I, I I've I've seen how many meetings and stuff that they're doing on a daily basis. Whereas I can be like, I'm screw <laughs> like I'm taking the week off. I've got the automation stuff doing its thing. I've got, you know, Carrie doing her thing with the virtual assistant stuff. Like that's viable. I don't need to tell anyone. I don't need to announce to a team like I'm not going to work this week. Like there's no, it's weird that even when, even though I'm the co-owner of the company, I still feel like there's a degree of like full-time-ness chair, you know, button seat. I need kind of permission-y type stuff to walk away to go on a trip or something. So yeah, I mean, I think like if 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 the only goal here were optimized for lifestyle, then I wouldn't want to be doing this. No, that's fair. And that's certainly not the the ultimate goal for everybody. Everybody's got different different goals. Uh, I you know, I kind of asked that question from a selfish perspective. Not that I have any plans to make a SaaS product, but it's certainly you know, I get ideas. I have ideas for like piano related SaaS products that I think could help people, but it's like just seems yeah. so intimidating. Like when I already have a, a good online course business going, like going off and creating a SaaS product just seems very intimidating. So I was just genuinely I think it's more of like if you ever wanted to sell, I think it's probably going to be harder to sell a course than a, uh, okay. a SaaS. So I think that would be the big, yeah, oh yeah, you know that could be a motivator if you ever want to have like the big exit, the big splash, or something. Then SaaS could be good for that. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point, man. I didn't realize you were an engineer. That's uh, maybe one of the reasons a lot of what you have said in the past few years has resonated with me. What kind of engineer were you? I'm not a real engineer, software. <laughs> So I, I, I did coding. I, uh, I did a year of electrical engineering in college and then I switched to computer science stuff. And um, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that works. I, my, my degree was in computer engineering. Uh, I did that for eight years before I was able to quit because of piano. 
a few years back. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like this way more though. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. All right. So going back to the courses a little bit, um, you mentioned a couple of your courses called Mastering Convert Kit, Mastering Drip. How are you able to have a brand name in the name of your course? Like legally? I, I'm genuinely curious. I thought like <laughs> people people can't have like master Facebook ads. Like I don't think you can have the word Facebook in the name of your course, unless I'm mistaken. Do you have a partnership with those guys? Is that is that it? No, but they're both friends of mine. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I knew Rob Walling uh, of Drip, right? When so I started mastering Drip when he still owned the company, and even when you go to like the sales page, there's a video of him, the founder, talking about how he likes the course and recommends it. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything from them saying that. I mean, I, my my thinking is, I remember once when I signed up for Infusionsoft, probably the guy's name, but he he created a book called the Infusionsoft Bible. And this is a while ago, mm-hmm. and. What I was told, I, I haven't been able to verify it, but they Infusionsoft let him run his retargeting pixel on their marketing site because they were thinking like, if this guy's there teaching people like the basics of Infusionsoft, that doesn't hurt us, right? Like, right. It doesn't hurt them in any any meaningful way. So, you know, unless they're going to try to cannibalize the education side of the product that they built, God, I'd love it if somebody built like a right message course. I mean, that would be great. Like, it doesn't hurt me at all. Like, you know, it's like it, it, it doesn't. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe Facebook's, you know, legal department would have an issue with Facebook and a product name, but both Nathan Berry and Rob Walling didn't seem to care. And, you know, I told them I was doing it. So, yeah, I, I until you asked, I didn't even think about like putting a name like that. And it's just like, you know, I, I think the, the thing is the tool. Like, like, you know, I have a, my airplane is a Piper Comanche. If I had a thing called learning how to fly a Piper Comanche, I wouldn't even question like, is Piper Corporation going to have an issue with that? You know? So I don't know. Maybe. I ask questions that I'm genuinely curious about. And, you know, no, that's good. I mean, I, I like that you brought that up because again, I never even thought of that, to be honest. Yeah. Well, look, I'm in the music niche and <laughs> there's no harder place to worry about like copyright and all that. Like I'm especially sensitive to that because I have to be very careful with the songs that I teach within my course. And I've heard, you know, Pat Flynn talk about years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but he he was um, teaching about some Mm. architectural certification in the lead or something. He had the name of the certification in his domain and they sent him a cease and desist. Yeah. And I'm sure that's like a thing like Scrum, for instance. I'm sure I think Scrum as an organization has, but which is weird though, because I, I I actually worked with somebody recently who they do Scrum training. I don't know if they had to get like permission or whatever, you know, from Scrum, the organization who does Scrum stuff at all. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's an interesting topic. When, when I oh yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure. Unfortunately, I have to deal with in the music industry, but I'm glad you're not having to deal with that within your uh, in your courses. Yeah, God forbid you upload a thing to YouTube with like a background <laughs> song, and then <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, even even like teach like if I go and teach you my version of an Ed Sheeran song, like technically that's that's a problem, even though I'm not playing the artist. Really? Yeah. Wow. Don't get me started okay. on that. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so back to tools a little bit. Like, what are some of the other tools that that you use and love other than your own and, and let's start with like where do you host your courses so um i built my own courseware on top of this sensei plugin in wordpress i just kind of forked it and modified the heck out of it so i'm running it on i've, I've tried going to podia and teachable and i just would get frustrated so i ended up building 
my own thing, which is usually not the right answer. But for me, it worked out because I wanted to do things like tiers and didn't really figure out how to do like, you know, if you have a course and you have two tiers and the premium tier gets everything in the baseline tier gets half the thing. How do I make it so if you're in the baseline tier, you see the whole curriculum and maybe like the the parts you don't have access to are grayed out. And you click on that and there's a big like click now to upgrade your thing to the premium. Like I wanted that kind of stuff that to me just said like, this will make loads of money, you know, attached to it. And I couldn't find any sort of uh, hosted courseware that would do that. So it's it's my own built or modified Sensei on top of WooCommerce thing in WordPress. So can we expect a SaaS product on the course no. hosting from you no. in the future? No, no. <laughs> that's, that's pretty saturated at this point. Yeah, yeah. So what else? What other tools are you using? I'm using, uh, okay, I'm using WordPress plus WooCommerce and Sensei and my modifications for the uh, fulfillment side for the actual courseware stuff. Using ConvertKit was using Drip for all the email stuff. And then uh, I'm using WriteMessage for lead gen and site personalization. And what else? I was using Deadline Funnel, but I'm not really doing the artificial urgency stuff anymore in that way. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I'm missing. Again, I'm I'm pretty like I'm not doing anything with like paid acquisition. I'm not doing any retargeting. Just pretty much all like people come to the site organically or through a referral. They opt in, get a bunch of personalized email sequences, and then they get pitched. Good for you. That's great. Most a lot of people that I talk to are they're only getting their traffic from paid ads. So yeah, yeah, I've never I've never been good at it, and um, I think it's just because the blog's ten years old that that probably helps. So. So let me ask you this. When, when you have a course and you now have multiple courses, what is your what is your thoughts on providing some level of interaction or do people just buy the course and now it's kind of a one-time transaction and the relationship is kind of over? Yeah, great question. So I'm doing kind of the, the, the I guess, somewhat standard thing at the moment of private Facebook group for people when they buy. They just get in the onboarding emails, they get a link to join it. One thing I found that works well is a post-purchase I've got a three-month-long post-purchase sequence that when you buy, say, Master and ConvertKit, you get. And it walks you through module by module, everything in the course. And it also um, has kind of like action steps for you to do, but also to jump into the community and to like, you know, do this and then jump in the community and share results and stuff like that. So it's nice because it's an evergreen course. So people buy it on a weekly basis. And then there's kind of a fresh influx of like people posting and it doesn't... Community hasn't like gone stale because of that, I think, largely. So that's been helpful. And I, do, I don't do I do office hours, but I've, I'm doing these mastering marketing workshop series. I just did one yesterday and they're $70 to attend, but they're free if you own the course. And, um, and also, if you buy one of these, you get what you paid. If you do want to join the course, you can apply that to buying the, you know, the course, right? So that's been working kind of well because that gets me adding new, fresh content to the course. And it allows course customers to, you know, during the Q&A at the end of each one to actually get live help and stuff. But yeah, I haven't done... I mean, there's been people who have either said, I want the end result of the course, but I don't have... Like, I don't want to sit through your course and do it myself. I want to like, who you, can you do it yourself? Can you recommend somebody? So there's a degree of that that's happening. But um, yeah, it's still, it's still very much accidental. I don't have any intentional like, you know, here's a directory of certified whatever or something. So, well, especially when the courses aren't your main focus these days, I can only imagine how hard it is to add any interactive components. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, the workshops do work well. I do, I do enjoy them. And to be fair, I mean, they kind of help with right message because a lot of it is like a lot of our customers from right message come from the course because I'm teaching people how to think about segmentation, but I'm not prescribing right message per se in the course. I'm getting the ducks in order so that they can eventually 
go to some of the right message and use it correctly. Brennan, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on. I got pretty much one more question for you, and it's kind of a bigger one. And okay. it's more yeah. about just advice for the listeners. So there's two main group, groups of people, people that don't have a course, looking to kind of get into it, do it the right way. And then there's a lot of people that already have a course, they're making some sales and just looking to do better and better and better. Um, what advice do you have for those two different types of people? Segmented advice. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I would say for for those starting, uh, again, this might sound, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if it's heretical to the type of stuff you teach people, but I tend to think like for me, at least I, you know, take, take my, my, uh, my course on Legion, the blueprint, uh, for example, before I did that, before I made it a video course that I sat and recorded and scripted out and all that stuff, I did it as a bunch of live workshops, you know, a bunch of times. Right. So I found for me, at least starting out, starting the course out as a dialogue kind of workshop for me made it. So when I actually codified the course into non no longer like editable like monologue video content that the product was better so i think that a lot of people get hung up and, and you're you're gonna know a lot more about this than i would um in terms of like this data but i think like from the people i've spoken with a lot of people get get hung up on like shipping and getting over like internal fears and doubts and like do people actually want this and so on and i think honestly the best course is their reactions to what people are already telling you. And I find it easier for myself, even even nowadays with new stuff, like with Mastering ConvertKit, the first iteration was more of a collaborative thing where I was doing like live things that then gave me the experience to know like, how do I really need to teach this thing to then code it into a video course? So like, I'm a big fan of that model. So like, it tends to be easier. You can, you don't need to record a X hour thing. You just sell like a live two hour workshop and start small, right? So I'd say that for that first, cohort um for the second one um yeah i i think like the you know i don't i i'm, I'm the first to admit i don't know a lot about like paid acquisition I'm, i've never been good at it i don't like i i, I want to say i kind of stumbled into success with the seo stuff like i don't think I, I never did anything intentional to get search traffic but i think the thing that did work out well for me is the this idea of like if you can think in terms of creating customers so like somebody's on your site they find an article of yours. Maybe they relate to it or they search for something. They opt into something that relates to what they just read. So they're eager for something more. What I want to encourage people to think through is like, how do you, like the end goal should be getting them to the point where they're ready to be a customer. So when you do pitch them, you don't need to educate and sell, you just need to sell. So I think like, you know, a lot of people will do like an email course and then it's like this blindsided, like, oh, by the way, buy this thing. And it's not, they're not really, it's not, is connected as I think it could be. So one thing that I've done that has worked well, I think, has been introducing this concept of a bridge between what you're teaching versus when you're selling kind of the upsell, which is the premium product attached to what you've been educating people about. And um, you know, one, one little sh- shift that's worked really well for me has been to lead score people based on engagement during the educational stuff and then variably modify how long it takes them to get pitched based off that. So they're highly engaged, pitch more immediately. They're not as engaged, send more educational, nurturing-ish content. That for me was like night and day in terms of overall, you know, it it was nice because it it decreased unsubscribes, which I know like a lot of people, myself included, had the idea of like buy or unsubscribe, you know, ultimately. So, but it it decreased that early on because I do think like there are people who can unsubscribe if you sell too heavily too early, who could have been a great customer later on. And just by scoring people's engagement during the initial onboarding and then variably changing when they get pitched based off that, that for me has been a, a pretty good initiative. And I'm glad I did it. 
That's really cool. That's, I mean, spoken like a true engineer, right? I can just picture all of the right brain people listening to this, all the artists and, and whatnot, just like being like, oh, what? I don't understand what he's saying. Like, what is What am I supposed to do? I love it. And going back to what you're saying about the first group of people too, I think the live component is severely underrated. Even, even for somebody like myself, who's, who's run an all, the same piano course for seven years, um, I, it's been kind of the same curriculum for seven years, and I'm teaching the class live right now. I, I did a whole application process. I weeded it down to eight people, and I'm doing what I call the piano boot camp. And it's my way of just revalidating my curriculum because getting that direct feedback as you're teaching people yeah. live is a completely different experience than just coming up with cur- what curriculum you think is going to work best and then filming some videos. Yeah. So the sooner and more often you can do that, the better. But one one problem beginners have is like, okay, you want me to teach this live to a group of people? I don't even have an audience yet. So that's a whole different beast. Do one on one. I mean, if you're, yeah. I'm sure if you were a like, I would bet, and I don't know your your history with this, but I, I'd bet if you did a lot of like training little Bobby on piano, like you know, like the the quintessential like piano teacher kind of person who one on one student stuff. Um, you do that a bunch, and then you like maybe go into like a group class and then you do like more of a workshoppy thing like that I think would be a great path to getting somebody to say all right I have a lot of experience teaching this I know where people stumble I know all that stuff I can then confidently say I know how to create a, a great course to help those people so like my I think it boils down to like dialogue before monologue right so like the best monologue best sales pages the best email sequences the best courses I think are the result of the iterative possibilities that come with dialogue first you know so yeah very cool, man. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on. It's been uh, about an hour now. And so let's let's wrap this thing up. Uh, what, what call to action do we want to have? Just people go to writemessage.com or is there anything more than that? Yeah. Um, well, if you so writemessage.com, if you want to see the software and we have an email course on um, with 19,000 variations to it. So <laughs> go check that out. Uh, you can see how we do that um, on, the, on the like freelancing consulting side or, or even the marketing automation side. Yeah, if you go to wfreelancing.com, that's my other site. And again, there's another... With that, I've ditched the email course in favor of a 21-day personalized plan of action that gets generated based off of a lot of inputs that you give at the time of opt-in. And that's worked well. You just want to kind of reverse engineer any of that stuff. I mean, they're both there. Yeah, I've definitely reverse engineered some of your stuff over the past couple of years. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Brennan. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jock. Okay, that's a wrap on the conversation with Brennan. Dr. K, come on back here. What did you think? Oh, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. I mean, it was fascinating how um, it kind of seemed like he mastered courses and then there wasn't that much challenge there. So he's out <laughs> there like challenging himself, uh, flying planes and and just creating and selling that SaaS uh, right, right message service. But I mean, the, yeah, the big idea is that creating courses, it's all about having freedom in your life to do what challenges you and brings you joy. Yeah, that's that's all I see on his Facebook timeline is just stuff about planes, always flying them or fixing them up. You know, that's, that's clearly his, his big hobby. And he's just, he's from a business perspective, especially online courses, he's just so confident about it. And that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that jumped out at me when I first met him three, over three years ago was he had this business. It was almost completely on autopilot, bringing in seven figures. And he just had it so dialed in. And he was just so confident in the fact that not only was he making a lot of money and not having to work on it a lot, but at the same time, all the automation and everything was genuinely helping people Mm -hmm. too as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that quote in there, he said, yeah, my goal is that if I get hit by a bus, how can I have things set up so there's minimal <laughs> impact on cash flow? And yeah, for every small business owner, I mean, there's a period where you're just juggling everything and and just in that startup mode. But then it's, you know, I feel like you're a, a great example of automating and 
just creating systems that that make things work. I've got a lot of uh, got a lot of room to go. You know, I, I'm I've become known to some extent for a lot of automation systems, and and I am, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people will be like, "Well, why did you need like an OBM? Why did you need somebody like that, an operations person?" And it's it's funny because of perspective, because because I see these systems, I see these processes, and they could be so much better. Mm-hmm. So much more more optimized and and automated. Even though they were pretty good, maybe above average, they could have been so much better. And we're we're actively working on that. Sure. Well, and it just lets you do more things. Like you do have, you are juggling a few different things for sure. Yeah. So the discussion about kind of the launch and the relaunch strategy, um, when to keep things the same and when to make an exception. I thought that was kind of an interesting discussion. I do think you know there is room to kind of have a different targeted um, relaunch series, like for for the new year. It seems like you did a, a whole different system around the new year last year because you know that you get this huge bump in January, and so you're like, yeah, I'm willing to put some extra time in. I'm willing to do a live webinar, and uh, at the same time, I think that there's room to do it in this September October time. I think I might have mentioned it before, but Dave Ramsey calls this time of year the second resolution season. <laughs> it's when people are like heading into fall. And they're like, you know, what's what's my hobby going to be this winter? What am I going to get done? Um, I should do something productive. And uh, even personally, uh, just this week, I was researching. I've never really done much indoor training on the bicycle. And this week, I was researching like, you know, I think this is going to be the year that I finally buy a bike or like an indoor training bike. And it's not that it's that cold outside yet, but I'm like, I'm going to do it sometime this winter. So let's figure it out and and get it ordered before everybody in the midst of, pan- of the pandemic orders. Going Peloton? Uh, no, there's a, there's a game, there's a gamified version of indoor cycling called Zwift, Z-W-I-F-T. And so you actually, um, yeah, I mean, you're actually racing people from all over the world. You can be riding right behind Lance Armstrong or some other pro rider. And there's these massive, massive races and, and people get addicted to it. So I don't consider myself a gamer, but uh, it's one of those things that like if enough people try it and are just like all of a sudden obsessed with it, at some point, I finally hit that tipping point where I'm like, <laughs> you know, I probably enjoy it. Yeah, very cool. Well, back back to what you were saying about like the relaunch and stuff. You know, it, when done right, I've said this plenty of times, but when done right, a live webinar funnel is probably the the top converting type of funnel. But it also takes a lot of work. And so this year, I have done my relaunch like that, like you said, uh, basically twice. I did it in January because I know that that's such a, a that's a that's my best month typically because so mm-hmm. many people are are setting New Year's resolutions to learn things like piano. And so um, every every year for the past three or four years, January has been my best month. 2020 is a bit of an exception because of the pandemic because April and May were so great for my business as well. But April, it was either April or May that I, I did a second uh, live webinar relaunch as well because I noticed the influx of traffic and the influx of, of conversion and interest overall too. So I I just kind of doubled down on that in mm-hmm. January and in April, but it is a, it's a lot of work. I've got to talk for two and a half hours straight. And, and I, when I do it, I like to do it right, which usually includes two webinars so that I can cover all time zones. So that's a total of five hours plus setting up all the additional steps and emails and everything. So uh, it's not something I necessarily want to do every month, but maybe to your point, I'm due for another one here with this. What, what, did, what does Dave Ramsey say? S- second chance at resolutions? Second resolution season. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that I caught and you might want to make note of because you've been talking about changing your pricing before too long. Um, he said that the differences between a course and the, the SaaS product, he said 
it's hard to create scarcity when you're selling a SaaS product. But he said he has created scarcity like he'll like announce like, hey, we're going to bump the price up. And if you want to if you want to join right message right now, you can lock in this price. And so when you do decide to change your pricing structure, would you consider doing a a big blast that says, hey, if you want to get in at the current pricing, like now's your chance? Yeah. So what my plan is, is once I get the details nailed down of what the offer is going to be and how much it's going to cost, I'm not, necess- I'm not necessarily going to say, hey, this is your last chance to get in at this price. What I'm going to do is, is pre-sell. Hmm. Say, hey guys, this new version is coming out. It's going to be available on this date, but you can get in right now, early bird price of this amount. So even if that, hmm. in, let's say you know, let's say right now it costs four ninety seven, or it does cost four ninety seven right now. Let's say I end up going to six ninety seven. Hypothetically, well, I could, I could pre, I could say, okay, guys, on this date it's going to be six ninety seven, but because it's not available yet, I'm going to let you get in at early bird pricing, and then as soon as it's available, you'll get it. You you can get the old version now, and then when it comes out, you'll automatically get it. So it's going to be six ninety seven, but for right now, early bird pricing, you get it four ninety seven. Yeah, that should create a huge bump. It should. It's the same price. I'm selling it now, but it's framed a completely different way. Mm-hmm. You know? No, that sounds good. Um, you guys discussed uh, how he started his first course, and uh, I thought it was really fascinating. He was putting out this knowledge and this content with this whole goal of selling that PlanScope software. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he realized, he's like, really, like my knowledge is, is the actual product that seems to be taking off and actually be more sellable, more valuable to people, a more viable business in this situation. So then he pivoted into a, a book and the course, the text-based course. So really fascinating there. And it reminded me, um, recently I was listening to an interview on the Tim Ferriss show with Guy Raz. And at the end of this interview, Guy Raz is the host of How I Built This uh, podcast. So he wrote this recent book about um, just growing a, a really successful business. But at the end of the Tim Ferriss interview, Tim said, you know, what's your advice? And Guy Raz said he really believes that the biggest opportunities are on the outskirts of these like platforms that are developing rapidly. In his story from history, he said, you look back at the gold rush days and the companies uh, that were started during the gold rush in San Francisco. He said, you know, the thing is the gold miners themselves didn't get rich, but who got rich and who's still standing and has giant buildings? It's the Levi's, um, Wells Fargo Bank, Ghirardelli Chocolate. He said all those were founded in the gold rush and they were products that served the gold rush. And so Hmm. like, in terms of the online course space, I was thinking of Elise Dharma, who does uh, marketing with Instagram, and then she's able to move over to TikTok. She's able to provide advice on how to how to utilize Reels. At one point, you mentioned you told me to check out the funnel of this the Airbnb course. Yep, um, it's by a guy named Nathan Rice, I think, and that's an excellent example of a course just doing it right. But you know, Airbnb is the platform, but that course is super valuable. And then actually just this morning, uh, I've been hearing about the Amazon that they just have this drone that will go around your house. Have you heard about this drone that like is a security drone in your house? No. I mean, I know about the the idea of drones like delivering packages. I don't know about a security drone. Yeah. So they just had a, a product launch day like last week. And one of their things is a $250 security drone that like every so often it like it's in a in an, in your living room it lifts up and it cruises through your house looking for intruders and then goes back to its little docking stand and and so i looked i was like has anybody put out on a course on how to optimize all your alexa and ring products and actually nobody has 
So if somebody out there is listening is like, you know, I don't have the specific skill. It's like, look for one of these large platforms and, and teach people how to optimize it. Well, that's, I mean, that's such a good point, David. And you're, I think you're bringing it up based on what Brendan was saying about trying to, you know, he created the original SaaS product first and then started to create info products to try to funnel into his original SaaS product back in 2011. But at the same time, right, there's another part of his story where he created a ConvertKit course and a Drip Mm -hmm. course. Same thing. Like he didn't make those software, but he saw a need for training. And I thought that was a really interesting discussion about how those companies shouldn't be upset that he he's using their names in the product. Like if somebody made a course about how to how to get more out of piano in 21 days, okay, awesome. Like somebody needs to buy piano in 21 days to 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 need that course as well. So that's only helping my brand. It's not hurting it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny. He said, Yeah, I'd love it if somebody made a course uh, how to master right message. Yeah. Yeah, He's there's like, another opportunity. Somebody might need yeah. to make that course. Yeah. So in the discussion about right message, um, I was impressed that you said that when people opt in, then you have that short survey and you said 90% actually fill that out. So, yeah. On piano in 21 days, which mm-hmm. is just a type form. So I implemented that before right message had that feature and it's it's worked well. So I've never, I've never moved. I've never used right message for piano in 21 days, but I've used it for the online course guy.com for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very interesting that almost everybody that opts in fills out that information. Yeah. And I guess it's just the way that I frame it. Like I basically say, hey, while you wait for this workbook to arrive in your inbox, let me help help me to help you more by by giving mm-hmm. me a little bit more information about, about you. And uh, I've got some good data about my people, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, just the thing that he shared that made most sense to me was just the comparison to in-person selling. Again, I sit across from patients and, and recommend a plan of care to them. And uh, he said, you know, when you sell in person, you instinctively craft the message that resonates with that individual person. So, you know, in my office at the first visit, I asked people like, what's the most important thing that this pain is keeping you from doing? And, and somebody says, yeah, like I can't play with my grandkids or my kids anymore. Then on the second visit where I go over the plan, I say, you know, hey, you know, this is a plan and, and this is a plan I'm most confident in to get you back playing with your kids or your grandkids. And I mean, that just tells them, you know, I was listening Um, So I agree. He said, you know, if you're selling to another business, you name drop companies, their size, you just emphasize how the perfect solution is there. And interestingly, just last night, I was considering buying a course and it was missing that right message component. So um, there's a guy named Khalid Hamada. I might have that pronounced wrong, but I was uh, for a while, I was kind of lurking in the teachable Facebook group before they took that off uh, Facebook. And this guy joined the teachable group. He got this, uh, this, his story is that he was, he worked at Facebook with all these like national marketers. And so now he, he quit working at Facebook, but he created a course called Facebook Marketing School, or it's just FB Marketing School. Um, and he started sharing his results and obviously just has a lot of people joining his course. But his, his advertisement showed up in my newsfeed last night before I listened to the interview with Brandon Dunn. And his course is only $199 right now. So that's at a price point where I was like, you know, maybe I should do that. I'm managing my own Facebook ads. But like the one little test, the video testimonial that was like front and center was this guy that was like, yeah, I mean, all I was doing was just boosting my post before. And it just made me think like this guy is a beginner. And I just wasn't fully confident. I consider myself like a Facebook ads, you know, know enough just to be dangerous. Like I have, yeah. I have a skill set, but I'm not a pro. Um, I'm pretty sure I could get $199 value out of it, but the right message wasn't there. Mm. 
So, yeah, and I love the name for the software, right? It's the right message, right mm-hmm. message, right time, right person, right audience. Like it's it's really cool, and you don't necessarily need the software to implement some of the the strategies behind the concept of the software and some of the things that that Brennan Dunn recommends. I think he's he's spot on with with you know just talking to talking to the people as much on an individual level as possible is mm-hmm. is cool, and that's a great example of where you didn't you didn't really feel that come yeah. through. Yeah. If I got a follow-up email and it said, this is, you know, this is all the people that are in your situation. They were, you know, medium level skill level and look at what they said about my course. Like I would actually go and buy it. Cause I was right there. I was like 199. That's, that's not much. I think I could get that return on investment. Well, well on this, uh, it, to, to give you another example, like lately I've been advertised to on Facebook from some, I guess, nutrition company, some, some kind of fitness or nutrition company. And all the ads are these ripped girls <laughs> and all the, and I go to the site and it's all women and no, nowhere does it say that the program is only for women or anything like that, but everything is just, is just women. So like, it seems like a cool thing, not that I'm in the market for it, but mm-hmm. I would never, I would never sign up for it where literally every testimonial and every picture and everything's a woman because I, I just I can't see myself in that. Right. I don't know that it even works for a man, which I am. So <laughs> that that was weird. That was weird for me, and and I didn't I didn't feel like it was the right message for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, my last question um, in the discussion about the course versus SaaS products, um, SaaS services. You, I know where you're going with this. No, 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 no. You're, no. you're not. You're not going to give away your uh, your idea. <laughs> You said you have an idea for a SaaS product or a SaaS service for piano. Oh, that piano related. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's there's some cool like little game ideas um, that I, I think could be fun for my students as they as they're practicing certain lessons throughout the course. And so I certainly would like to get a programmer to help me um, make little tiny web apps to include mm-hmm. in the practice sessions for my course. But it would be part of the course and not a standalone like mm-hmm. app or SaaS product. I have no interest in being in the SaaS product game. Total mm-hmm. respect for people that are. It sounds like Brennan, you know, is a big fan, and that's great. But I am fully confident in staying in the <laughs> online course side. And I have an idea for a very small like web app that will just help to serve my course customers only. What would <laughs> it look sense? like? Well, so one I, one example is there are a few drills that we have to do. I try to I try to stay away from drills as much as possible when when teaching people piano um, because it for a lot of people a lot of my students took piano lessons when they were a kid and they're mm-hmm. revisiting it years and decades later and so the scales and the drills and the exercises that don't involve actually playing songs on the piano bring back bad memories and so right. I try to limit it as much as possible. But there are certain things we have to do. Like if you've never touched a piano before, we have to learn the notes. And to learn the notes, you have to drill it. And so inside the course, I have these audio exercises where, you know, day one is the white keys. There are seven white keys, C, D, E, F, G, A, B. Well, you've just got to drill those and learn them. And in the course, I've got these audio exercises where it's just my voice calling out one of them, C, and then you're supposed to play a C. And I'll say G, you're supposed to play a G. And my voice slowly speeds up, speeds up to where by the end, it's like A, B, C, like pretty, pretty fast. And the idea is Mm -hmm. that you need to keep up by the end. And that's how you know when you're ready to move on to day two. So if I could have a more programmed and automated way to where it's, you know, if, if you go through those audio exercises enough, you're just going to memorize the patterns. Oh, gotcha. Right. So, so a web app or an app of some sort built into the course that could just randomly call one of those out. I mean, I can record seven individual audio files of my mm-hmm. voice with the seven notes. And if we could randomize that 
and slowly speed it up, that would be really cool. And, and it would help to serve people better. So that's, that's kind of what I was thinking of when I mentioned that to Brennan. Gotcha. No plans for an actual SaaS product. <laughs> okay. Well, what did you think that I was talking about? I, I, just, I just thought you were going to ask, Hey, you think you're ever going to release a SaaS product one day? Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, I, I kind of forgot about that part of the conversation. So no. Gotcha. David, another good one in the books, man. Thanks for joining me here. And uh, thanks, thanks again to, uh, to Brennan Dunn. That, that was all you had, right? That was the last mm-hmm. one. That was your last question. So uh, another good one, man. Um, as usual, show notes, links, everything are on the website. Uh, I've got a nice short, succinct link for you guys. OC.show slash 152. And for any additional online course resources, help uh, my, my different programs, free and not free, any way that I can help you with online courses is all at theonlinecourseguy.com. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk next week. 